listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. This is the Rainmaking Podcast, and my name is Scott Love, your host, and welcome. Thank you for listening. Today, we've got Cole Silver back on our show. He was on episode number three when I relaunched this podcast during the crisis over a year and a half ago, and I can't believe we're already over 60 episodes. He offers great wisdom that can help you in terms of business development. He's a bona fide credentialed expert on business development. He's worked as a business development consultant. He's worked as chief counsel. And his current role, where he's been for almost seven years, is the chief client officer for Blank Rome, a global law firm. I think you're going to get some great ideas out of the show today. Today, we're talking about leadership, recruiting, and rainmaking as it relates to the legal industry. Now, if you're not in the legal industry, please listen to this show. There's some great ideas on here. In fact, I think he ended up interviewing me on this show. If you have some time, I'd appreciate any recommendations for other speakers and authors that you come across. And as always, thank you for the feedback and ideas on how I can improve this program for you. Thanks for listening, and I hope you get some great ideas from my conversation with Cole today. Hey, this is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. I've got with me a very dear friend, Cole Silver, someone I've known for years. And today we're talking about trends in the war for business development talent. Cole, thanks for joining me on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me, Scott. Yeah, Cole. So I think with this particular show, like we talked about, this is going to be two people that have been in this in our roles for quite some time talking about changes. And I'll let you start, Cole. I know you had some questions you wanted to talk with me about. And so I'm kind of curious about what's on your mind related to the war for talent. Yeah, well, you know, you've been a premier recruiter for so many years, as well as a sales trainer. So with the advent of all these new technologies, what I want to start with is in the world of recruiting, getting new jobs, moving laterals, how has new technologies changed all that? Well, I think the immediate answer I have is with video technology, with Zoom, where I think it has done three things. It has shortened the hiring process. It has made it much more efficient in terms of candidates learning about their prospective new firms. And third, it's been able to bring walls down between people geographically. And going back to the first one, when I say it shortened it, when I would present a partner to a firm, I'd wait a few days, a firm would get back to me. Yes, we're interested in meeting your candidate. Let us know a time that works. And they'd have to get multiple people in the same office at the same time. So the matrix of variables, putting four people in the same room geographically at the same time, that complexity was eliminated because now they don't have to physically be in the same place because we couldn't be in person. I think. Law firms, I was actually, I was surprised, especially with law firms, at how eagerly they adapted. But then again, they had no choice, right? They were forced to adapt to video. And thankfully, video platforms were there eager to offer solutions. So I think, number one, I think it's video technology. Is that kind of what you've seen also, Cole? Yeah. I mean, what I'm really curious about, since you brought the video up, is if I'm looking for a new job, and I want to work for a firm that isn't in my, you know, hometown. Mm -hmm. Is that avenue more open to me now? And I should call Scott 
to expand my search? It is. It depends. The issue that I've seen is that people are open to remote work, yes, but I've seen with some law firms, if they don't want to do that in terms of pay the state payroll tax in a new region, then that's going to be a non-starter. But there are organizations that have intentionally shifted their model that way just because of the trend, because they see now we can get talent in other markets that we couldn't get, and we're still connected via video and all that. And I don't think this trend is going to go away. In fact, my colleague, Brian Silver, no relation to you, but the same last name who runs our associate division, he's actually seen that those firms that are eagerly able to offer something like that, they're going to get a competitive edge over firms that aren't. So absolutely, it's a big variable in terms of recruiting talent. So basically, what the pandemic has done, if you look at it positively, it has expanded the opportunities for both law firms and lawyers because we no longer have to be in the same town. That's right. Absolutely. And I know that when I coach lawyers with business development, the older lawyers, they were saying, well, I can't go to lunch. I can't go play golf. And I'm trying to convince them, yeah, but the world is now open to you. So use the new video technology and grow your base that way. Absolutely right. I think that what you hit on, Cole, is a testament to those that understand resilience. I always think of Chesty Puller. When I went to the Naval Academy, we heard stories about Chesty Puller and just his aggressive attitude of being a champion and winning in combat. And his philosophy was when the enemy has you surrounded, that's okay, because no matter where you shoot, you're going to hit him. Anytime, <laughs> anytime you're in the middle of adversity, you have to claim the victory first. And that's uh, when I used to do a lot of training, a lot of sales training and recruiter training, I would teach people how to build resilience muscles. And one of the habits somebody has to have is how can you use that adversity to your advantage? So those people that saw an opportunity, even though tragic things have happened and still are happening from the pandemic, uh, unfortunately, there are opportunities there. And those that can look to harness the opportunity and leverage it, like you said, those are the ones that are going to see its full potential. And if you can see now, the world is flat and there's no barriers between me and seeking clients in other geographic regions where there was a barrier before, then I'm going to harness that. I'm going to leverage that and use that to my advantage. So, Scott, as one of the premier recruiters in the legal field, tell me, are cold calls and phone connections still the key? And what has been the impact of LinkedIn? I would say, from my experience, the telephone is probably the most effective business development tool. And it's interesting when people post on these recruiter forums that I'm a part of, what's your favorite tech tool? I always put the telephone because it gives you instant access. And with the telephone, you have another sense involved. With just text messaging or reading something that's written, there's a limited amount of connection. You only have one sense, your sense of sight. When I have a sense of audio, now the odds are higher that I can bring the walls down, I can develop rapport, and now I can start my journey of building trust. And when there's trust, now you get the red carpet rolled out. When I have earned trust with a prospective candidate, and you usually know it when you have it, and it's something that has to be earned, and it can happen in a very short period of time, in minutes, then you have somebody that's telling you what their problems are. I can't get that over email. I've never been able to get a candidate 
to tell me what his or her biggest frustrations are with their firm in an email or LinkedIn. I'd say email, LinkedIn, other, other vehicles that are more techy, I'd say those are good for perhaps starting a relationship or moving it forward, but you have to be voice to voice or video to video. They have to see the whites of your eyes or hear the heart in your voice. And the only way you can do that is over the telephone. Right. And would you say that's the case also for lawyers trying to get business? I would say so also. From what I've seen in thinking to some of the successful business developers with whom I've spoken during the crisis, they're still busy, but they're having video meetings. They're setting themselves up as experts and reaching out to trade associations to speak on a virtual panel or to do some sort of a LinkedIn presentation over video. I think those people that are active and that have that business development mindset that you've always taught, and that's been part of your own story, Cole, is that teaching people to think like a business developer, they have to go out of their way to connect with prospective clients. They have to have some sort of a connection, whether it's via LinkedIn or telephone. In the business of getting business, there has to be that person-to-person connection. And you talked about trust and this connection. Is that the secret sauce for being an effective business generator? I would say it's one part of it. You have to have that, but you also have to have the substance. You have to be the real deal. You have to have legitimate value that you're bringing to somebody else. So you have to have both of them. And I would say it's, it's almost like there's this a stool and you have to have at least three or four legs. One of those is you've got to have the competence, like I just mentioned. You've got to have the confidence, also knowing that you can deliver the value. You've got to have the humility to know that it's not about you, that your success is a derivative of providing value to others, and then also communicating that. And how do you communicate it? You have to earn that trust. So I'd say if you look at four things, the competence, confidence, humility, and then building that trust. I think it's those four different legs of a stool is what somebody needs. Yeah, I totally agree. Let me ask you something. You know, we talked about the pandemic, remote work, video calls. What has the pandemic done to lawyers' psyche in the sense of, do they want to stay practicing? Do they want to move firms? Do they want to expedite retirement? What, in your experience, has this pandemic done to lawyer psyche? I would say it is similar to the grieving process, where when the pandemic started last February, and I was in Philadelphia meeting with the client, we're going to go to his office, but we had to meet for breakfast. And I'll never forget riding the Acela train, train home. I remember somebody sneezed in the car I was in and it got really quiet and everybody looked and everybody was in shock, you know? And, and I think the whole world was just like that for weeks. And it was, if you think about the grieving process, you lose a close friend or family member, you're in shock and disbelief. You can't believe it's happening. And then you get emotional and you have to go through the natural process of the emotions, the real grief. And then finally you come to acceptance, that I'm accepting it, that this is my new reality. But then I think that the successful business developers, when everybody went through that, they actually saw that now there are opportunities here. I can actually leverage this technology. I can actually get busier. And then what's nice is that 
a global economy that wasn't doing too bad, that certainly helped. And then the crisis, and, and I kind of anticipated this, that there would be certain practice areas that were going to start to get hit pretty hard. Insurance and insurance policyholder work. Boy, that's off the chart now. Any sort of labor and employment litigation, things related to the crisis itself. And then big surprise, corporate transactional off the chart. So I think I think that helped to kind of buoy the legal industry. But I'm really proud of what some of these law firms have done, where they made some pretty tough decisions and had to quickly adapt. And I think that built the confidence muscles of law firms and the leaders in law firms. And here's a sidebar. My own personal opinion is that most law firms are not effective at leading. This kind of was the litmus test. This was the big reveal, which firms it revealed the deficits, the cracks in the armor of certain law firms. And some of them were caught off guard. They just didn't have the right type of leadership to adapt. But those that did and those business developers that saw opportunities, those are people that are going to do very well. So where do we go from here? Because there are a lot of lawyers who think that either once we get this pandemic under control or herd immunity, things are going to go back to the way they were. Do you believe that? I don't think they'll ever go back to the way they were. Uh, not for some time. I don't think it will be within our lifetime. I really believe that. I think that this is the era. I think it's a new era of life sciences. I think the same way we've seen different eras, like the tech revolution. I think this is going to be a new revolution in terms of life science, that people are much more aware of our health. And I think there'll be opportunities there. But I don't think it's ever going to go back to the way that it used to be. I think there'll be hybrid models. I don't think you'll see offices full of people for some time. And I don't mean to be all doom and gloom. I just think that that's, that's just my own prediction, is that it's going to be quite a while before things ever get back to normal. I think we need to accept it. And we need to say, this is how it is. What are the opportunities? How can I shore up any deficits that I have? And how can I protect myself and be vigilant in the future? So if you were running a law firm, what one thing would you do differently because of where we are today? Two things. I would hire leadership development consultants and I would have them train, yes, train my partners and my associates and all my staff on effective leadership methods because that is the big deficit. I think that impacts a firm in three different ways. Number one, in terms of recruiting. Number two, in terms of retention. Number three, in terms of profitability. How many law firms do this? I don't know. I'm afraid to ask that question. But that's the one thing that I've seen I've been in 50 different law firm offices over the years, Cole. I've met, I talked to thousands of lawyers. There is a reason why partners leave law firms and associates. And the partners, it's one of two buckets, either leadership issues or strategy issues. Sometimes it just can't be helped because there's a merger or there's conflicts. But strategy issues, leadership, you can solve that by teaching people how to be effective leaders. That also impacts associate recruiting. I think at our very core, we are all motivated by something and it's not money. Money is not the glue that's going to hold an organization together. If I was a law firm leader, I would get my executive committee and we would get real clear on what are our values as an organization, what's our vision, and what's our mission. And that would be part of our firm's story. I think what most law firms lack, they lack a good story. 
And that affects leadership. It affects recruiting. It affects business development. That's the first, that's the first thing I would do. Second thing is I would hire management consultants and sales trainers. Yes, the S word, teaching my attorneys business development. I would expand the budget tenfold on that. I would teach them how to talk to clients. And it doesn't have to be smarmy and unctuous and salesy, but I would hire account managers that would target certain opportunities in the corporate sector. I would poach all the marketing and business development professionals from big accounting firms and hire them in law firms. That's what I would do, Cole, if I was king. (laughs) Let me ask you this. You're a businessman. Mm Mm-hmm. And you see the way law firms are run, built on hours, one source of revenue, no retained earnings. Clients are basically owned by the lawyers. Mm -hmm. Is the model broken? I don't know if it's broken, but I will tell you this, that the publication of Profits Per Partner by the American lawyer back in the day, that didn't help the industry. How many industries do you know besides publicly held companies that tell the world, what their executives make. It's nobody's business. But for some reason, that's what law firms have been trained to think. This is how we measure ourselves. It's the only metric that the world sees. So we've got to shed unprofitable people and then continue to increase our profits per partner, no matter what the costs are. And sometimes that's not healthy. I think that the model itself needs to be adapted. Oh, now I remember this, and I'm not, and I know I'm speaking heresy, But I'll never forget the first time I heard a litigator say, when we're talking about his book, and he's like, well, unfortunately, my client's going to have to settle. And I asked him, I said, what was the budget for the trial? He says, about $4 million. (laughs) And he saved his client about $3.5 million. But I think there's a bit of a conflict there, Cole. I think there's a bit of a conflict. And I'm not saying change it. Do I have a solution? I don't. There have to be other alternatives. I know that some firms have gotten creative with that. Some big AmLaw 100 firms have sought out funding from funding agents that seek litigation where now there's some sort of a contingent fee where everybody wins. I know that firms that have gotten creative, and there are some clients I have that have some really sophisticated models of how to predict that and how to get creative in terms of pricing. I think that law firms are going to have to start looking at creative ways. I don't see the hourly fee going away. I don't see that going away. I think that there's just so much momentum with that's how law firms have trained their clients to pay. And that's just how they do it. I think that's going to be here for a while. But I think that those firms that get innovative in terms of pricing models, they're going to offer something that nobody else does. So, Scott, a recent peer monitor report showed there's explosive growth and profit for top law firms, as well as a talent war for associates. What's driving this demand? And this issue about associates? I think it all goes back to the client. I think that those firms, and when you have an associate, and my colleague Brian Silver has done a great job joining my firm and placing successful associates with clients. When you have a high quality associate pool, you increase the retention of your partners. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to partners that express frustration about their firm. And I ask them why. And they say, because we have a hard time recruiting associates. Well, the demand is coming from the client. If the associates aren't there, the partners are going to leave because I can't tell you how many times I've heard. I'm tired of charging my rates and doing associate level work. I need to go to a firm that has the associate pool so I can delegate and get leverage. And some of those firms that are smart about having high quality associates 
in third tier markets where the rates aren't going to be as high, they've got something going because now they've gotten a little bit more leverage that way. They've gotten smart about that. Okay. So let me ask you, as you talk to a lot of law firm leaders, what do they really want? Do they want a rainmaker or do they want a service legal expert? What's more important? I think you got to have both. I think you need to have the rainmakers. I think you need to have those people that are willing to grind it out and do the work. And not everybody sees themselves, and I'll I'll never forget a candidate who, ironically, was a very successful rainmaker. He said, I just don't see myself as a swashbuckling rainmaker. (laughs) But But he was. It's not who you think it is. It can be an introvert that is a swashbuckling rainmaker that has earned the trust of the clients, that has been published, that has done all the things that you've trained people to do over the years, Cole. I think you have to have that, but you also have to have people that are willing to do the work and high quality work. People that are vetted, that are credentialed, that have a track record of success. I think you need to have both of those. Tell me, let's um, talk about the lateral market for a second. Yeah, you bet. It's been very strong. Do -hmm. you see it continuing? I do. I don't see it stopping for the next five years. I think that the crisis actually stimulated certain pockets. I think that no matter how bad things get, if the pie shrinks, there's still going to be a pie. And you need to be smart about finding those vertical niches. If you're a recruiter, you need to find that like, like after other crises over the last 25 years, and I can't believe I've been doing this for 25 years, Cole, I've been able to find pockets of demand. After 9-11-2002, my niche was commercial construction. Nobody was putting buildings together, but I found a vertical niche, Cole. It was people that were doing Walmart construction. And that was, that was my niche. I worked with Southeast-based general contractors to find staff that had built Walmarts because that was the only type of construction going on. And so I think that there's always going to be somebody that needs to be served in legal. Or if you're a recruiter and you work in a different niche listening to this, there's always going to be some demand. I'm thinking, you know, probably five years, that's my guess, that uh, hopefully longer. But even, even if things soften up, that's not bad. I know some recruiters in other industries have commented that they would love it if things just softened up a little bit, because then it would be a little bit easier to get talent. If things just slow down a little bit, then people might be more open, more open to looking. Scott, what do you think is the most important attribute of a good legal market recruiter? Of a good legal recruiter? Yeah. I would say knowing how to create a mutual satisfaction of needs between two different people. I think first and foremost, you don't have to be a technical expert. I can't tell you how many times I've been given searches where as my client is telling me what they're looking for, I'm going to Wikipedia to find out what it is. (laughs) And I can match the big words, Cole. I'm good at matching the big words. But I think knowing how to, I would say it's, it's three things, knowing how to get people to feel safe and telling you what their motivations are. And if they look at you as a recruiter and they don't feel safe, then they're going to tell you they're not interested. They're not going to tell you they don't trust you. They're just going to say, I'm not interested. But number one, you need to get them to feel safe. Number two, you need to get them to take action. And the way you do that is you set the tone. This is what you can expect from me. And this is what I need to expect from you. And this is where we're going. I'm going to present you to my client. There's going to be a series of meetings. If you like them and they like you, there's going to be an offer. And my role is to get involved in the whole process. And then finally, I think knowing that Like I said before, it's a mutual satisfaction of needs, being selfless. The minute 
you insert your own agenda. I got to get a fee into the process. You're going to kill the deal. The only way that good recruiting and good placement can take place is through selflessness. And it's kind of ironic and it goes against our human nature. Yeah, I'm being selfish and then I'm calling people that I know fit what my clients want. And I'm being selfish when I'm getting a search assignment from a firm. But the minute I put those people together, yes, I want the deal to close, but I can't force it. I have to allow it. And so this is what I tell every partner that I talk to. I said, my goal is to channel your self-interests so that it intersects with law firm strategy. And if that's something that happens, that's great. And if what I have to share with you isn't a fit, I'm okay with that. It's not going to hurt my feelings. It's not the Scott show. And I tell all of them that as we go through this process, the only thing that counts is you doing what's in your best interests and be honest with me about that. And I never get any pushback with that call because they know that I'm like yourself. I'm just like you. I'm a professional. And you've studied business development for decades, Cole, and I respect you so much for that. And just, I was, I found some of your content from years ago and I was listening to it the other day and it's just as relevant today. And you get that. A lot of people don't get that. And hooray for us (laughs) if they don't. But it's about channeling the self-interests of other people so it intersects with your client's strategy. That's what it's all about. You have to be willing to walk away from deals that aren't going to result in that sort of arrangement. Scott, you've helped so many people. What personal satisfaction have you gotten out of being a legal recruiter for 25 years? I'd say that's a good question. The deepest satisfaction I've had is with my own team. Kayla, Janine, Brian, Gabriella. I've got this amazing team. And it's like, I wouldn't say it's like my kids, but it's like my family. These are people that are part of my team. They're flying under my flag. They trust me for that. And I appreciate that. But just seeing them do the work and do it so well, they could work anywhere. They're working on my team and I'm grateful. And in my organization, the organizational chart is upside down. I'm at the bottom. My job is to serve them. That's the greatest satisfaction I've had with my training company. And you know that I sold that several years ago over 4,500 recruiting and staffing companies from over 36 countries. They invested in my materials, and I appreciate that. I never liked coaching. I'm not a good coach. I'm a deal junkie, Cole. I like doing deals, man. I like the action of recruiting. So I think it's just, it's personally rewarding. It's a lot of fun. I think besides my team, it's just the deep candidate friendships and client friendships I've developed over the years, where it's nice just to keep in touch with people, people that I've placed that have moved on, We still call each other every once in a while just to talk and just to hang out. So I think it's just the the relationships, the great people like yourself that I've been able to meet and stay in touch with over the years, Cole. One last question, Scott. Where do you see the legal market in the next five years? I think that you're going to see firms rely less and less on historic brand equity. I think that those firms that have had a fantastic legacy. I think that's only going to get so far, with the exception of a few. I think Latham, I think Kirkland, Skadden, those are firms that are amazing that they create their own weather. That's how big they are. I think they're going to be fine. I think other firms that have depended too much on their historic legacy, I think that's going to be challenged. I think leadership challenges are going to poke holes in that. 
leadership challenges eventually make their way to press. And bad news travels faster than good news, and that affects everything. Not getting real specific, but certain stories you read in the headlines about what law firm leaders have done, about other issues going on in firms, that kind of pokes at the leadership issue there. And at the end of the day, it's all about leadership. I think the trend is those firms that understand what leadership is, they're going to attract those rock star associates, which means they're going to keep their partners. They're going to attract other prospective lateral partners also, because people want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. I think that that's probably going to be the biggest change. Firms that understand that they can create this amazing, not, not culture, but a story that's attractive. Those are the ones that are going to win. That's my prediction, Cole, is that you're going to see some firms that really understand that concept and their, their legacy is going to continue on for quite some time. Yeah, I totally agree, Scott. And I think that lawyers and um, law firm leadership would be wise to think and listen to you. Well, thank you, Cole. Spread the word. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for letting me interview you, Scott. This is great, Cole. I'm excited to have you on the show, and we'll definitely have you back on to share some of your expertise in the future. Thank you so much for being with me today, Cole. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.